Hello and welcome to Taking the Stand. Um, and if today's recording looks a bit, you know, different than usual, uh, there are some reasons for it. It's not only, you know, the the bearded, handsome man uh, that is now appearing with me on this podcast, Mr. Caden Lang, whom I will introduce uh, shortly. It is also that we have to use Teams today because StreamYard, our usual platform, uh, I mean, it's been a long year and I think StreamYard is feeling that as well. So it's giving us a few headaches, but I think we will, you know, soldier on. In today's episode of Taking the Stand, um, we are going to look at uh, a further aspect. Uh, we're going to continue the series of capital S social, capital J justice versus and usual just you know straight up justice how these two intersect where they come from um and continuing this discussion where things like critical race theory um as we see now even with this incident of the proteas and quinton de Kock and all the drama around that how it's really influencing south african thinking uh south african not just politics but much much broader than that if we can uh you know think that something has influenced how we view a cricket player or a rugby player then you know it's really you know permeated and soaked deep into south african culture so i'm joined by caden lang who uh is uh affiliated with the institute of race relations and is uh, specifically the edonti project educate don't indoctrinate. Um, he works with Sarah quite a lot, but um, today I thought Caden would be the perfect chap to speak to um, because we're going to look at something that might reveal a bit of an hypocrisy in critical race theory, and that is the grandfathers, the intellectual grandfathers, as it were, of critical race theory as it is today permeating uh you know the world but south africa specifically right so crt ken is uh critical race theory is probably the most prominent part of the broader critical theory social justice movement um specifically in south africa and that's sort of to be expected with our history of racial division racial oppression it's it it, it makes sense that a theory with a racial element would find, you know, fertile ground here. Now, we've spoken about CRT before on taking the stand, but perhaps a recap uh, would be good. What would you say are the core tenets of CRT? Mm, sure, Herman. So, well, first of all, critical race theory is is an approach to um, to trying to deal with racial discrimination um, and like how it m manifests itself in the world. Um, so in that sense, it's got very noble aims. Um, I mean, uh, classical liberals like us also trying to do the same thing, but we go about it in a very different way. So the first thing to understand about critical race theory is that everything is about power dynamics. And so if you have a look at the history of the world and the history of social interaction, it is um, you get groups that are powerful and groups that are not. But what's very important is these the sites of power um, can be found in identity groups. And so when we're talking about critical race theory, we're specifically talking about 
racial identity groups. And, and so that's the, the first thing to understand is that every interaction between different races has some element of power dynamics going on. And then we kind of sort into a hierarchy and that hierarchy is white supremacy at the top and then um, all other colors and all and um, it, everybody else that's kind of seemed to be oppressed by white supremacy is underneath that. And so, well, what you kind of get out of that, um, I guess, is just the thought that racism is everywhere. And even when we think it's not, the reason for that is because we have either internalized our um, our oppression or internalized our dominance. And why power is so important and why it factors so much into this entire thing is because the powerful groups, and like it makes a lot of sense, get to basically make the rules. And uh, I mean, rules that go as deep as how we view the world, how we make sense of the world, how we organize the world. Um, uh, all sorts of things like that, how we use language and uh, w what is truth. I mean, all of these have got to do with power. And so the powerful groups get to determine all of that. And in this case, the powerful group would be white people or U Europeans. And so the thought is that every single thing that Europeans have done in the way that we see the world has, be has been designed specifically to maintain that dominance of white people. If this sounds very reductionist, that's because it is. <laughs> but yeah, so I would say that the, those are the two main things is that p power dynamics shape all of our social interactions and that because of that, r racism is everywhere, even if we don't know it, because we've been socialized into believing in white supremacy and the white ways of knowing that, that come along with it. Sure. As, as, as summary answers go, I don't think I've heard it put that succinctly. And, and I think that makes, you know, it makes sense of, of, of why these people behave the way they behave is once you sort of understand where these proponents are coming from, it becomes less crazy, even if it doesn't become less sinister to things like non-racialism. And this white supremacy idea, this, this, this uh, viewing the world through the idea that it's all structured um, in white school of thought, it, it does give CRT quite an anti-white flavor that seems to me, at least, to be in stark contrast to to the the non-racialism that that the South African Constitution uh, envisions. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But there is so if you're talking to a, a CRT scholar and you ask them, is it anti-white or is it anti-white people? They will often make a distinction, but then I will kind of explain why why the line gets very blurred. Um, so I wouldn't say that CRT is necessarily anti-white people. So like it's not anti-Caden. However, it is anti-whiteness. And so it's anti all of those properties associated with being white. 
And so here what happens, and here's the little trick, is that because I'm white, I have I carry the property of whiteness. And the, and so I guess the only way that I can kind of get rid of that whiteness in me is to uh, dismantle it or reject all the cultures, norms and values that have been socialized into me. And so, like you say, it is anti-white, but it's more anti-whiteness. But then that feeds into, OK, all white people are are actually part of the problem and so we all kind of need to do the work and so it starts to look very similar to being anti-white people yeah no i mean it it, it, it quacks like a duck and it swims like a duck it, it's starting to look awfully much uh, uh like a duck um and or, or barking dogs in this case. Um, I do apologize. I don't know if you could hear the barking dogs on my end, but they are, you know, um, I think what you said probably upset them. But it is it is upsetting a bit. Um, and it is barking. Uh, so um, in, in, in their book, Cynical Theories, James Lindsay and, and Helen Pluckrose, on this ground sort of actually argues that you can trace the origins of critical race theory as we see it today back to white European continental male philosophers like Foucault and Derrida. Now, do you think there's some merit in that argument that you can see critical race theory and look back through the genealogy and find granddaddy Foucault and granddaddy Derrida somewhere there. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so well, especially what we were kind of talking about earlier with the element of critical race theory that has to do with um, uh, power. And uh, so uh, Foucault and Derrida were um, part of a, a school of thought called postmodernism, which I mean, it incorporated a whole bunch of stuff and it's quite hard to actually define. But it kind of arose like in between the 1950 and 1970, uh, particularly the 1960s. And and I can under, I can kind of understand why, why it arose. I mean, Western civilization seemed to be eroding. I mean, we had had world wars. Um, we we saw the rise of communism and the failures of communism. And and these thinkers were trying to understand all of that. And so they were very, very skeptical of Western civilization. And then what came along with that, like um, um, enlightenment rationalism, so the scientific method, logic, neutral principles of constitutional law, all of those kind of things. And so they they, they were trying to almost deconstruct what, what went wrong. And, and I mean, they were disillusioned with the rise of fascism and I kind of work, work work all of that out and so basically they were trying to understand power hierarchies and in particular what they called meta narratives and so a meta narrative w would be like a grand story that we all tell ourselves and we are all kind of part of a meta narrative and so meta narratives could be 
religions or Western schools of thought and things like that. And they thought that um, meta narratives were bad because they were, in particular, the, the the meta narrative associated with Western civilization, because that's what led to the rise of fascism, world wars, and things like that. And and so they basically tried to deconstruct that whole process in terms of power dynamics, and especially um, and Jacques Derrida in particular, um, was very interested in language and how we use language and how that shapes the way that we think and how uh, wh whoever's in charge of the meta-narrative, and so um, in terms of race would be white men, uh, how, how we use language to actually uh, um, oppress other people. And so what they tried to do is to point this out. And so there was r radical skepticism in terms of what we actually know as true and that's shaped by language and Foucault came up with a concept called power knowledge where the, those two are kind of intimately t tied together and and basically it's a very cynical thing so what you are meant to try and do is develop a critical consciousness to be able to notice when these power hierarchies are in play notice how they relate to language and then pro uh, problematize everything and yeah that's basically it I mean I don't think that that was a very good explanation and like it goes a lot wider than that and like a lot of it actually goes back to Marx which is like a really interesting thing but maybe we can kind of get onto that a little bit later mm. uh, yes and and I think what what's so interesting is uh, the the postmodern principle of power knowledge um, and problematization is, is what we're seeing uh, today with critical race theory. So, so there's definitely this ancestral connection that today's critical race theorists, uh, whether they like it or not, and, and it's not necessarily something to be ashamed of, um, but it is something that sort of starts undermining um, the critical race theory argument because with with this rather pronounced anti-white bias, perhaps even anti-European bias, uh, perhaps even anti-male bias, that critical theories generally, or critical theory generally, and critical race theory specifically relies on or breathes as its oxygen, it, it, isn't there a bit of a hypocrisy? And you mentioned Marx as well. Isn't there a bit of a hypocrisy that these visionaries and prophets of CRT today are building their temples on the ruins or even the foundations of, let's face it, old white European men. Yeah, nice try. I think I think a way to get around that is to say that these white men um, had had um, almost th thrown off the shackles of their whiteness because they s saw through it. And so maybe they weren't, I don't know, in a way authentically white because they actually, they, they developed a critical consciousness, which means they were like probably some of the first allies. Um, and and so, uh, yeah, like I do get that argument. Um, however, I do think that there is a way around that just to say, yes, okay, but these guys weren't buying into whiteness and they were trying to dismantle it and to try to pr 
problematize it within themselves and their society and so they're all right but like i guess it is a pick and choose kind of thing but an interesting thing too is i i have heard reports and um and lindsay and Plackrose speak about this is nowadays it's quite often um the case that um, an article you write won't be accepted by a journal if you cite too many of these as you say old european men and so what you kind of got to do is if you want to reference Foucault, for instance um, instead of referencing him directly you reference a black scholar that referenced him so that's um, you are kind of more relying on the black scholars rather. So the fact that that is happening means that there's certainly merit to your argument, uh, but then at the same time, you can maybe get around it by saying, no, these guys were allies and they had developed a critical consciousness. And that means that they are on our side, basically. So, so how would you handle a scenario like that for, for example uh, i'm i'm a law student or i'm a philosophy student uh, um and and at some prestigious university possibly in a coastal city um with a with a famous flat mountain uh, let, let's say in this hypothetical scenario um a lecturer or a fellow student or a tutor um makes this point that crt requires the full emancipation of black people from the dominance of white systems designed by granddaddy uh, Foucault and granddaddy Marx or great granddaddy Marx perhaps, would it then be a useful defense and an opportunity to actually promote non-racialism uh, to mention that, you know, you're just the intellectual grandchildren of these white guys. And if you want to throw off the shackles, I mean, is it shackles all the way down? How would you um, handle a situation like that? Very carefully um, in this day and age, I think. <laughs> yeah, I just, I... Uh, I don't know if it would be that useful to actually approach it in that way because I think that you you could kind of make the argument that I was making earlier. I would perhaps um, pick up on other things that um, you said there and that the lecturer said to like kind of pick apart the arguments. Like I would I would perhaps want to ask my lecturer, could he please explain exactly what um, emancipating yourself from white culture would mean because that's the thing i've noticed that whenever that kind of thing comes up it's so often left in the abstract and uh, so like it's just white white culture and so and i think that there's a reason for that and um i think that lecturers and scholars are quite hesitant to actually say what they really mean because then I think a lot of ears will start to prick up so I would kind of get a little bit of clarity on exactly what what that means because I mean uh, a lot of us know that what that actually means is okay well let's dispense with 
logic and stuff like that. And so if that came up, I would then um, perhaps say to my lecturer, okay, but you are using logic in the course of your argument. And so I would maybe go that route where you just pick holes in it. Um, although just going back to uh, the, the argument that you make about the old European men, yeah, there is validity to that. And, and like it is worthwhile pursuing that line of thought. But I think it can, uh, the, the lecturer will c circumnavigate that in some quite smart ways, especially if he is um, a CRT activist himself. Yeah, because um, it, 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 I, it, it almost commits the, the fallacy of ad grand hominem. You're not attacking um, this person, you're attacking the, the hominem a few generations ago. Um, but uh, I love what you're saying about, you know, um, and, and we've seen it so many times that uh, the, the good offense is, is in, 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 a, in a verbal or in a debate or in an exchange of ideas is, is often just probing questions, expose people in their basic assumptions um, and you will get get far. And, and um, uh, you can, you, you know, call it the Socratic method. Uh, but but don't call it in that situation because they will just dismiss it as another old white men product. Um, but Caden, thank you so much for for today. Sure. Um, I really, I mean, I just found it fascinating, and it and it's scarce these days to to get a discussion like this where where it's not agenda pushing, where it is let's let's handle this thing, let's take it on um, in 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 a responsible way not in some shrill way, but let's look at where it comes from and see what knowledge can persuade, what knowledge can encourage, um, and what knowledge can actually reach out to other people. Because at the end of the day, that's that's probably what, I mean, that's what freedom is about. No man is an island. And um, the freedom to to think for yourself and the freedom to not be responsible for whiteness or blackness or whatever the color of your skin is is something worth fighting for and as we say here at fan and with this i sign off your freedom is worth fighting for caden thank you very much everyone at home we'll see you next week